Hey, can I ask you a question? I just got a quick question. I have a question. How, how do I say this? It's kind of a tough question. Are you okay with tough questions? It's a question about God. Or maybe Jesus. They're the same thing, right? It's a question about faith. Or religions or something. It's not my question. I'm just asking for one of my friends. You wouldn't know them. Well, they live in a different state, I think. It's something my wife asked me. Seriously, he said that? My, my grandkids asked me. It's actually my best friend's brother. I really want to ask a question for my daughter. It's actually something my dad asks me. I'm asking for a friend. It's my mailman's wife's second cousin, twice removed. Good morning. Welcome to those of you who are here, who are online, and at all of our locations this morning. I'm so glad to be with you. I'm Laura Gilbertson. If we have not yet met, um, I want to say hello. And um, I joined the teaching team about 11 years ago when I became the pastor of Care Ministries at Westwood um, and have um, now moved my full-time ministry to the professor role at Bethel University. Um, but I'm so grateful to be able to come come back and be part of the teaching team whenever Pastor Joel invites me, particularly when we are in a really interesting, important series like the one that we are in. So this very thought-provoking series, um, we have been covering a lot of difficult questions. So the previous weeks, um, is the Bible reliable? Why does the church judge me? Don't all religions lead to God? These are huge questions, right? And I am, I'm so grateful, and maybe you are too. I just love being a part of a church that accepts questions as part of the Christian life. Isn't that just a comforting thing, to be in a community where we know we can ask these things, support each other through it, because questions are a sign of our desire to understand and know God. We're not lacking in faith, we're not failing God when we wrestle with any of these questions. And so, of all of the questions up here, I find personally most challenging this one, if God is a loving God, why is there so much suffering? I find this very, very personally challenging. Illness, disability, the loss of people that we love, the fears that we carry, mental anguish, these things impact all of us. It's one of our common bonds as humans. And we haven't been through the exact same pain, of course, but every one of us, who's joining the service today, we have all suffered. And so I think it's helpful just to maybe let you know where I'm coming from. Um, some of you know, or knew I should say, my late brother, Jay. You either knew him in person or you've heard me talk about him before. Uh, but he has really um, shaped the way I think about this difficult question. He started life um, with seven broken bones because of a genetic bone disorder that he had and throughout his entire life, broke a lot, um, had several hundred fractures and seemed to have a fracture in every family photo that we have. Um, and he uh, would break just from minor bumps if you bumped into him or if he coughed, he would break a bone and he had other um, physical ailments that came from that as well. And so he had a lot of physical pain and there was also pain throughout our family because of the hurt that we also faced knowing that he had to bear this unfair burden of physically hurting more than others, of not being able to walk. He struggled to find friendships because of his disability, and there were a whole host of other things that he experienced um, before his death about nine years ago. 
So I feel like I grew up surrounded by chronic suffering. My brother's pain, but also our family's emotional pain that came from feeling helpless. So my spiritual life has therefore been marked by the reality of pain and been marked by my attempts to understand why God allows suffering. But my spirituality has also been marked by a profound sense of God's grace and mercy that he's been with us through it all. That's where I'm coming from. And you each have reasons why this topic touches your heart. And my guess is that you have also wrestled with today's question, why does a loving God allow suffering? And before we dig into it, I think it's important to acknowledge that this question can emerge from various impulses. There are different reasons why this question comes up. Sometimes we are in the depths of pain or loss and we cry out something like, why God? But we're not really looking for an actual answer, right? Uh, we don't want the friend to tell us the answer. If, if you are in that moment right now, um, you know what I'm talking about and you might even think like, please stop talking right now. Or uh, if you aren't there, try to imagine back to when you have been in that crisis and what it feels like if someone comes up and says, oh, let me tell you why God is doing this. And you want to say, I will show you pain right now, right? It can be the last thing that we want to hear when we're in the midst of our own suffering for someone to rush in and try to uh, explain or give an answer. So I think it's important for us to start our time together this morning by encouraging ourselves to be slow to spew answers. Let's be slow to try and rush out there with answers. Let's instead be patient in our presence and in our ability to listen when people are in the depths of their suffering. But there does come a time, and it's usually after there's been some distance, a little bit of space from the crisis, when the intellectual questions do need to be considered. And that's the point of this entire series, right? To give us some space to really wrestle with these honest, important intellectual questions. So that's what we're going to explore this morning. Now, theologians frame the intellectual problem of evil with three statements. Together, they cause tension for us. And these three statements are, begin here. If God is all good, he would destroy evil. Right, that's a logical statement. But also, if God is all powerful, he could destroy evil, yet, Evil exists. These three statements create tension for Christians. We say they're all true, but they create this tension because we believe as Christians that God is good. We believe that he is all powerful, but we see suffering all around us every day. Where is God? Why isn't he intervening every time harm comes our way? Especially when we think about good, innocent people who are facing awful circumstances. Where is God? I feel like trying to make sense of suffering is the hardest intellectual problem that Christianity faces. Other worldviews don't really struggle in the same logical way with this because, for example, for an atheist, um, you don't really need to reconcile a loving God with human pain. There is no God in that worldview, right? They just say evil exists, that's it, period. Suffering is still hard 
for that person. Suffering is still hard for an atheist, but it's not intellectually or logically hard. Or consider a deistic worldview, right? Deists would um, believe that there's a creator who got everything going in the world, but then abandoned the world. And that worldview can resolve this intellectual tension by simply saying that the creator is not loving. He's not all good, right? He got things going and then he left. So he, when he just leaves us to our own mess. That's not a good God, so the tension is resolved. But as a Christian, I believe in our creator God who continues to stay involved in the world, who is loving. I believe God is guiding all of human history and he cares for you and for me as individuals. And I believe he hears and responds to prayer. I absolutely believe he, he responds to prayer. So that's why these three things cause us tension and it's in ways that other worldviews can more easily dismiss it. To be upfront with you, I have found peace with my own experiences of suffering, but I am far from feeling like I have a confident answer to this question. So I'm with you this morning, not as one who's going to spoon feed you a correct answer that's going to relieve all of your questions here, but I do want to guide us through some important theological truths. And I want to offer encouragement from scripture um, when we are in these times of suffering. So first, let's think about how Christians have tried to understand suffering. This mental work is called theodicy. That's the term that we use in theology. It refers to our attempts to explain why a loving God allows suffering. So this word theodicy is actually a subfield in theology. It's so expansive, so huge. I had a whole course on it in seminary. It's just you know, you could find countless books on this going all the way back to Augustine in the fifth century. So if you or your friend are asking this question, you are in good company throughout the generations. We're part of a Christian family that's been wrestling with this for a long time. And it's worth noting that faithful Christians who love Jesus sometimes have different responses to theodicy. One common response that's voiced by some Christians is to ask if suffering is part of God's plan. Right? They'll ask this question, is this God's plan? Christians believe in uh, God being active in the world, certainly. He didn't just create us and then leave us. God is in control of human history, but the question here, is the pain and the suffering that we face directly orchestrated by God? Now, we sometimes make statements that seem to suggest that. For example, we might tell someone who is struggling, it's all in God's plan, he has a purpose for your suffering, you just need to learn what he's trying to teach you. Now, I know that those words mean well, but to someone who's deeply suffering, those ideas, that theology can create a picture of a twisted, cruel God who is harming them to prove a point especially when we consider cases of excessive suffering, such as a young child who has only known extreme physical pain, I don't think it aligns with God's merciful, loving character to attribute suffering to God's attempt to teach a lesson. Now, certainly we can learn from suffering. I have learned a lot from suffering. Um, it's very possible, but I don't know that God actually directs or allows suffering for that purpose. I don't think it aligns with the overarching character and work of God communicated to us in scripture. I think instead, we need to ask another important question this morning. And that question is, is suffering 
the result of God's gift of freedom. So when we ask this question, is suffering the consequence of a good gift gone awry? The first book of Genesis, excuse me, the, the first chapters of Genesis um, tell us that God created everything, right? God created everything and it was good. And I love that you all said that. At least I heard it in my head. I think you actually said it. Um, but God created everything and it was all good. The world, when God created it, was not in chaos. God's creation was good. It was marked by shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace, holistic peace, and that reveals God's design, right? We know from scripture that God's loving design was that things were good, and we know also from scripture that God is relational, and he desires a genuine loving relationship with his creation. Throughout each book of the Bible, God demonstrates that he created us to be in loving relationship with himself and with others. This is like the theme that just keeps going throughout scripture. Love is the heart of God and God wants us to love him in return. An all-powerful God could have created a bunch of human robots who always do the right things, right? He could have done that. But we were created for relationship. And agape love, which is the Greek word used to describe choice-based, other-oriented love, the love of God, that cannot be dictated by God because agape love must involve real choice. By definition, agape, which is choice-based, means that we have to choose. It must include the freedom to choose love or not. God cannot program us to choose to love him because that is not genuine love. Therefore, in order for real love to exist, free will must exist. But this freedom, this gift of freedom, involves risk. And that is exactly what we see described in the next chapter in Genesis, in Genesis 3. Right? We see in Genesis 3, after first hearing that God created all things good, that creation turned from God and turned from his hopes for humanity. So humans and the angels, specifically Satan that we understand, abused God's gift of freedom. And this began a change in our innermost core and in the environment around us in every way from what God had intended. And so therefore, we understand that evil is the misuse of the gift of freedom that has caused a radical alteration in our world. Everything has been touched by this abuse of freedom. So pain and suffering are the products of what C.S. Lewis calls in his book, The Problem of Pain. He describes this radical alteration of the universe due to the abuse of freedom. This altered experience is a common burden that we all bear in our bodies, in our minds, in our relationships and in the natural world. So even though natural disasters and disease, we can't like pinpoint a specific human decision in the moment that caused those things, they are the results of a disordered universe in which everything now lives with this mixture of our created goodness and corruption. Everything has been affected by human and angelic rejection of love. By looking at the origins of evil and suffering, we see that God did not create pain or suffering, but he has allowed the conditions because genuine love is worth the risk. 
So this helps me understand that evil is not part of God's character and pain and suffering really can be seen as the exclamation point emphasizing that the world is not as it's supposed to be. But why doesn't God intervene? Right? We said he's all powerful, so why can't he just fix it like right now? Any day now. Just come along, God. Well, Christians believe this is exactly the mission of Jesus. Jesus came to redeem the world. We have not been left alone and abandoned to the consequences of the radical alteration all around us. We know that Jesus is the source of salvation from the effects of evil and suffering. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus announced that he came to bring good news to the poor, to bring sight to the blind, and freedom for the oppressed. And he actually did those things in his earthly ministry, and it's his spiritual promise to everyone who places their faith in him. And sometimes today, God clearly, miraculously intervenes and brings immediate healing to suffering. I have seen this. And maybe this will be a sermon for another day, but I have seen miraculous things, and perhaps you have too. So I believe Jesus, I believe God can do this today. But God does not always do it. And I don't know why. And we just have to be honest about that. God does not always miraculously heal, and I don't know why. I wish my brother would have been healed. And I think of many of your stories as I look at your faces and think of the stories of people here at Westwood and all that you and your families have been through, and I don't know why God sometimes brings miraculous healing or protection and why sometimes he does not but I believe that the work of Jesus will ultimately be completed when Christ returns. We are waiting for the full freedom from suffering when Christ returns. We're in this weird, awful period where we know that Christ conquered evil, we know he conquered death and suffering, but we're waiting, nobody likes to wait. This truth of his victory is being worked out and it impacts our daily lives as we are in this waiting period. Suffering will not be completely defeated until the coming of the new heaven and the new earth. This is what we're told in scripture. In Revelation 21, we get a glimpse of what the kingdom of God will be like when God's victory is complete. So let me share this with you. Revelation 21 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more pain, no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's our hope, right? That we have this hope of God making everything new. Evil is not part of God's character, and God has intervened, but we're still feeling the effects of the battle. And this is how I have wrestled through the intellectual problem of why we suffer. So intellectually, I get it. But when I see suffering, I am still wrecked. Are you with me on that? You know, even if logically we can come to this theological conclusion, it still hurts. It is so hard to feel it and to watch it. 
So that leaves us with then this more practical question of how do we live in this period of waiting? Um, This practical question of how do we find strength to trust and hope while we wait for God's kingdom to make everything right? So I wanna spend the rest of our time this morning on four scriptural truths that provide encouragement in our suffering. First, nothing can separate us from God's love, nothing. There is nothing that you or I are facing that is beyond the reach of God's love. You are not alone. You might feel alone, right? Sometimes we feel abandoned, but God is with you. That is the truth that I am sharing this morning. Nothing can get in the way of his promise to be with you in every joy and in every hardship. In his letter to the Romans, uh, Paul writes this. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. That's kind of all of what we're facing, right? Uh, As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, amen. Whatever we're facing, he's with us. Nothing can separate us. I think feelings of isolation can compound suffering. So it's important for us to remember that God lovingly created you and me. He knows everything that we're going through. You are not alone. And we get to be tangible reminders of God's presence with us when we care for one another. So when we're present with someone who's in the midst of grief, even bringing a meal to someone, advocating for the marginalized, all of this helps us maintain hope while we are waiting for God's kingdom to come. A second, I think, important source of encouragement from scripture is that God is capable of working all things for our good. Now, as I said earlier, I don't believe that God causes suffering, but I believe he is able to transform us in the midst of the mess that we are in. My sweet, wonderful dad, um, who I just totally adored, he passed away in January from cancer, so it's still quite fresh. Um, And my dad was just amazing. I was always just in awe of him, Um, and yet I feel like he became an even more amazing person after he was diagnosed with cancer. He and I talked about that, how his cancer diagnosis had changed him. He loved and lived differently after his terminal diagnosis. He didn't take anything for granted. He discovered a type of contentment that he had not experienced in his earlier years. And it's true that his cancer caused pain and suffering, and neither my dad would have said this, nor would I say that it was directed by God for a purpose. But I can say this, he was not healed of cancer, but he was a healed man. As my dad surrendered to God in the midst of his difficulty, he experienced joy and love and purpose in such different and beautiful ways than he had earlier in his life. And it reminds me of what Paul says in Romans 8.28. Paul says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him 
who have been called according to his purpose. God will not let anything go without him being with us, working, transforming us. As we allow our innermost being to be transformed by God in the midst of suffering, he is faithful to do that. I quoted C.S. Lewis earlier. Um, he wrote a lot uh, after his wife died, and he wrote this, these powerful words about experiencing God's presence in the midst of pain. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world says Lewis, right? This idea that during moments of crisis or true brokenness, I know I have been humbled and consequently reoriented my life. So even though I don't think God is causing this suffering, we can trust his good purposes will transform us even when we're still experiencing the effects of the fallen world. A third source of encouragement from scripture is to remember that God is not distant, right? God is not separated and distant from us. Jesus understands our suffering. Are any of you fans of the Far Side cartoons? Anybody remember those? Okay, so um, some of them are very funny, and I can't show this particular one to you because of copyright issues, so you're gonna have to just imagine it or Google it later or something, um, but let me just give you the illustration and you try and create it in your brain. So in this Far Side cartoon, it depicts God as an uh, old man with white hair sitting at his computer, and on his computer screen, God is watching a random guy walking along the street, and this guy is unaware that there is a huge piano dangling over his head, hanging by a rope. Okay, so it's kind of a tenuous situation, of course, that the guy is unaware of. Um, and the cartoon shows God's finger hovering over a button that says smite. Right, so the joke is that this random man's um, potential for suffering lies at the whim of a bored old man who is entertained by his power. And it's a compelling cartoon because it captures the feeling that we sometimes have that God is distant or, unremoved, or just removed uncaring or even worse, right, causing um, harm because of smite, and yet has this total control over the universe. But contrast that image that sometimes captures our feeling, contrast that with the God of Scripture, the God revealed to us. God revealed his character through his son Jesus, who came to be with us, to walk closely with the brokenhearted, to heal the sick, to bring uh, freedom to the oppressed. And not only did Jesus come to um, be present with humanity, but Jesus came and actually became human and suffered rejection, loneliness, betrayal. He was tortured on a cross and ultimately died a painful death. In Jesus, we know God is not sitting above playing with the smite button. Right? Jesus, God incarnate, suffered on our behalf and thereby defeated the powers of evil and death. And when we share in communion together, which we're gonna do in just a few minutes, it's an opportunity for us to remember Christ's suffering 
and his sacrificial love that he gave for us. The prophet Isaiah anticipated actually a suffering servant who would bring healing to the world and we see scripture unfold then throughout the New Testament to see that it's Jesus Christ who is the suffering servant. So I wanna read this passage from Isaiah 53 for us that talks about the suffering servant. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. Right, this idea that God himself, he loves us so much that he bore unimaginable suffering to provide us with hope. So when we're tempted to imagine God sitting up there hitting the smite button, let's correct our understanding and remember him as the suffering servant who understands pain and is bringing new life and hope to the world. And finally, scripture tells us that God can bring peace in the midst of our suffering. Jesus was very direct with his followers that they should expect hardship. He was very clear. And it's helpful for us to remember this too, that we're, when we're in this period of waiting for his return, waiting for the kingdom, things are gonna be hard. And so Jesus said in John 16, 33, this preparation, he said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. There it is. That is a promise, right? Uh, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the other promise. right? Our separation from God, which is ultimate suffering, is what was made immediately right through Christ. And we are God's beloved, but life in this waiting period is not going to be easy. I had a dear professor. He was an um, ethics and theology professor in seminary. His name was Dr. Bob Rakestraw. He was in heart failure when I became his teaching assistant, and then he, soon after that, received a heart transplant and lived uh, another 10 years, but in extreme pain and um, suffering, really, uh, disability because of what he went through. And he was probably the most godly man that I have ever known. And he re reflected on his own experience of pain um, in his writing, and I wanna share something with you that he wrote. He said, Christians have the right and the obligation to claim all of God's promises rightly understood concerning the trials of life, but they must also learn from scripture what God has not promised. He has not promised that no babies shall die, nor that we would be spared from dreadful diseases, nor that earthquakes and typhoons will cease before the eschaton. That's when Jesus returns. But God has promised that no matter how great the evil, how intense the suffering, how widespread the depravity of society, the flow of his, of his infinite love towards those who look humbly to him will never cease. Dr. Rakestraw lived with pain every day and he wanted to communicate that Christ followers should expect difficulty. But our suffering is united with Christ's experience. It reminds me of what the Apostle Peter said in uh, 1 Peter 4. He said this, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. 
To be in Christ means that we share in Christ's suffering and he shares in ours, and we also share in his resurrection. That's what it is to be in Christ. In that way, we can have hope in the midst of the hard things. We share in his resurrection and we are being redeemed. He is making all things new. And so before we join together in communion, let's just quiet ourselves, take a moment to put at the center of our mind this image of Jesus as the suffering servant who's with us in whatever we're facing in our lives. And if anyone is listening and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, can I invite you to do that today and allow his salvation to redeem your life from whatever chaos and pain you are suffering. So as we pray, just open your heart to him. And I invite you also to come forward after the service and pray with someone. But would you join me in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, we hold on to this truth that you love us so deeply that you came to suffer on our behalf. We do not take that for granted, God. The physical pain, the broken relationships, mental anguish, all of these things mark our lives. And you understand our suffering because you suffered too. But Lord, we know that your suffering was different because in your death and in your resurrection, you overcame the power of evil. And for everyone who trusts in you, Lord, you have promised that we have hope of your victory. And so we give you thanks for that, God. And I pray for people listening here this morning who are dealing with things like chronic pain, with fears, with addictions, with broken hearts. God, in your mercy, touch each of us with your love. Lord, give us strength as we wait for you to make all things right again. And be with us, use us to share your compassion and your peace with those who need it. And so as we prepare our hearts for communion, God, we just thank you that you are our suffering servant, yet the one who has conquered. In Jesus' name we pray.